This recording was brought to you by Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. All right, I think we're about ready to kick off the 3.30. We'll probably still have some stragglers coming in from the uh, Epic Rock Show downstairs. So this is Tools for Your Band, and I will hand it off to Mashable's Jolie O'Dell. Here you go. Hi, everybody. Namaste. Welcome to the best panel you are ever going to experience in your lives. We're talking about tools for bands, and uh, I kind of thought that's what this whole conference was about, but no, it's, it's all right here. So, um, yeah, I'm Jolie. I'm from Mashable, and we, here we have... Um, I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves so that you can all like give your little elevator pitch Tell these fine people what you do, and uh, yeah, go ahead, Neil. Okay, I'm Neil Weinberg. Uh, I'm with a company called ThingLink. We're downstairs uh, with, with a little demo area. What we do is, is we help artists um, engage with fans by making your images interactive. Um, probably photos are probably the most important marketing tool bands have outside of the music, and we can make them perhaps 50 times more engageable by letting you put sound, video, audio links inside the image make them shareable and transferable all over. I also come here with a PR marketing background. I've been running a public relations firm called Weinberg Communications for many years. Um, I helped launch the MP3 industry with mp3.com and eMusic and those kind of guys back in 98. And I'm also a world music artist. I had the number one world music album as a guitar player in October. So I dealt with the issue of what kind of tools can I use and what should I use. And even with all my knowledge, I couldn't figure it out for a long time. So I'm happy to be on this panel and learn. The Renaissance man. Okay, and this is Chris from YouTube. I am Chris LaRosa, the product manager for music at YouTube. And um, I spend most of my time working on two different problems. One is how do we take all the great content that our users make and include uh, music in and make that something that works for the people who make those videos and then upload them to the site and the people who wrote those songs. And then also um, try to make YouTube a great destination for music fans and artists to engage on that platform or on video. Cool. Hey, I'm Josh from The Orchard. I head uh, product development. Um, and The Orchard's a digital distributor that's really focused on building technology uh, around distribution and around, you know, artists' lives to simplify and synthesize this changing digital landscape and, and, and make the complex problems more presentable. Hi, my name is Jay Sider. I'm the CEO and founder of Root Music. Uh, we uh, power the music experience on Facebook. Uh, so if you're, a, we have, if you're a musician and need to put your music up and, and tour dates and uh, market your upcoming shows and gigs, that we, that's what we do. It's free, and there are over 150,000 bands using it we launched uh, last year. Hi, I'm Janique Seeley. I run BizDev for Atom Digital. Uh, we're a full-service digital marketing agency uh, affiliated with Atom Factory, uh, an artist management company. And we help uh, artists rise above the noise, basically, artists and brands um, leveraging technology, um, social media, and other digital solutions. Thank you, Janique. Okay, so to the topic at hand, tools for bands. This is such a problematic topic because as most of you probably know, there are too many tools for bands. There's this huge diaspora of shit you could use. And, but where are the users and where is the money? And as maybe a tech averse 
independent band, how do you finagle it and work it the way you need to work it? So I think we've come up with a general premise, especially for independent bands that are working outside of a label uh, without the help of a social media marketing team. The ideal tool for those kinds of bands, your average band on the street, it has to be simple, which also means it has to be fast. You don't want to invest so much time in it. It has to be hackable. You have to be able to use it for your own purposes, which might be different from the intended purposes of the app, uh, up to and including making money from things aside from just selling tracks to users. And it has to be pre-populated with your fans. The old saying, fish where the fish are, uh, I don't think that's a music industry saying. I think it's more of a marketing thing. But you have to go and find people where they already are. You can't always be trying to pulling them back to your website or just some newfangled app that you just found. So when we say uh, simple, hackable, and already populated with fans, one of the first platforms that comes to mind is Facebook. Uh, one of the most problematic apps for any musician, um, yet one that they probably all use in real life as users. So. Um, Let's talk, Jay, really quickly about how musicians are supposed to use Facebook, something that's really not set up for music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, for so long, I think, uh, you know, Facebook hasn't necessarily been, been that spot for musicians, or there, there hasn't been a clear way of how you use that, although now every band, generally speaking, has a page on Facebook, and so it's now figuring out how to utilize, um, you know, those, those fans and interact with them, um, you know, uh, a little while ago, they had a, a music player that you could put together on the side, um, and it, it would take some time to get, um, you know, b before they would, you know, clear your song to be able to put it up. And since then, there have been a, a number of different apps that have come along. Uh, there are a few before us. You know, I like uh, was kind of the big one before we came along, then sold to MySpace um, and Reverb Nation, and uh, and then we came along to, to really provide that solution um, to give a really professional look at allowing you to set it up, uh, get it going for free. Yeah, and I know Moon Toast Impulse is another mm -hmm. product that kind of does the same things. It lets artists put their songs on their Facebook page and actually sell music yeah. from Facebook. Yeah. So um, I think for Facebook, the way it's looking, third-party apps are the way to go. Mm -hmm. How do you bring the right third-party apps to the right artists? Yeah. Is that the problem? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's something that we're really looking to, to solve. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as I'm out there working with all the labels and managers, as well as the bands that are just starting out, is, you know, is it this, is it kind of these one-off tabs that you build for your page, uh, so you're only focused on that, or is there a possibility, you know, now that we've we've built up a, you know, a base, user base, we have 23 million monthly active users, and so is it starting to be something that across the board, this is something that fans uh, come to know and trust, but... You know, like Moon Toast, there there are some things that um, we're not providing at the moment, um, and and they provide the e-commerce. Topspin also uh, does that, and and there are a few others. And so we're we're looking, you know, kind of set the first generation of of what we've done in the past year, and looking to, you know, possibly incorporate that. And you know, I was talking talking with Moon Toast and uh, Topspin and everybody about how we can how we can better that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Facebook is pretty hackable. Oh, I'm sorry, Josh, were you going to well, say something? I was going to say one, Go one thing it. that, you know, we're, we're very interested in and I think it, we can all sort of help out with on this panel is figuring out how to show 
um, the effects of like a successful campaign at Root Music or, or Moon Toast or Topspin and how that and, and really contextualize that stuff across all of the things that we're doing at YouTube or whatever. And I think that's where you're going to find the success and, and you can really show the value of which is going to be the better platform and, and suss out you know, what's better for each different type of user. Well, can that be done uh, really simply and quickly in a way that'll be palatable to most indie bands? Well, I mean, certainly if if it meets your criteria, you know, if something yeah. if if the platform is simple and the platform is hackable and and the the people running the different platforms have the right mindset, I I, um, I definitely think it can, but it takes a little bit of of collaboration, mm -hmm. um, which is one thing we're trying to foster. Um, the other thing I was thinking about Facebook is also that it's really great for sharing other kinds of content with your fans. Aside from just putting your music out there, getting them to listen to it and buy it, you can share little behind-the-scenes tidbits or you can share videos. YouTube and Facebook kind of play nicely together in that way. Yeah, we, we actually hear from a lot of our... If I talk to a band, I say, like, what are the most valuable things that you do? They say, well, I put a video up of my concert or my show and then I, I promote it on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the fourth thing that's missing, and I think this is the piece that Root Music and similar products have filled in, is that you need to have um, something that's simple and usable, right? So that immediately, um, for somebody who's just starting out, narrows that down to the, the consumer social apps, right? Because that's what people know, and that's where their fans are. Um, hackable, most of the platforms are. Has fans, also important. But I think the thing that, that is essential for bands is that you showcase your content front and center, and so, on YouTube, we see that people who make really engaging videos can, can build an audience from scratch on the platform. Uh, anybody can make videos with music. But when or, you say engaging videos, yeah. what do you mean by so that? I, I think of Pomplamoose, right? I think Pomplamoose is probably the best example of video that matches the creativity of the audio. But it doesn't need to be that. We have David Choi. We have people who just get up there and sing their hearts out and do it passionately and connect with fans that way. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's what I mean by engaging. But I think what, what Root Music has done and what anybody who puts music content front and center in their um, Facebook app, they're, they're filling in the gap because when a fan comes to a site, they're gonna make a decision about whether or not they like an artist based on the music and they're gonna do that in about 15 seconds. And if you're not getting that music in front of them one way or the other in that first 15, 20 seconds, right, they're just gonna, it's not gonna be that interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'll add too, just, you know, it is really easy to build a tab now. Uh, Facebook just switched over from FBML uh, to, to an iframe. So it's pretty easy if you want to put a custom tab up there, if you're trying to do a quick campaign, um, it's, it's pretty simple to do that and put a music player, you know, SoundCloud is easy to drop in. You, you can do that stuff. But, you know, before they came along, we were trying to be that solution and now we've innovated as that change has happened. And, we're trying to make that whole process, setting up a, a larger page, um, much more efficient for you. But if you're trying to do like a one-off campaign, you can do those tabs, uh, build them pretty quickly, and then drive you know people to that through through marketing. Okay, I think um, I don't. I didn't get the statistic because I'm just a terrible person and a bad moderator, but. Um, Somewhere out there on the internet, somebody said that a huge percentage of videos that are seen on YouTube by your average Joe are actually music videos. That music, 
um, lives on YouTube in a way that it rarely does on other platforms. So um, I wonder if y'all can share some ways that you've seen YouTube hacked really well in a way that works for everybody. And I'll just share with you guys, I was looking at Sub Pop, remember Sub Pop? I was looking at their YouTube channel the other day and for every single video, they had a link below it to where you could go and buy or download for free whatever song that you were hearing playing. And it was, um, I think it's important to direct your fans to where you want them to go next and give them something else to do, offer them the next step. And that's like the most basic way that you should be hacking YouTube. Um, what else have you guys seen that works for YouTube? Well, I mean, I just want to say, you know, in that regard, because, you know, I think one of the challenges for artists, you know, and, I'll, and even though I have a, a background in digital marketing, um, there's no instruction manual that says put these links into your YouTube video to drive fans to these locations. Or to put and these tags on it. Yeah, so or that put tags. It comes what kind of tags results? do you put on it? So, um, you know, I think one, you know, one of the challenges for artists and even professional marketers is, you know, what's the methodology for um, creating the engagement and making it viral? Well, Everybody would love to know that. I think How part, do you make it viral? Go ahead. Oh, part of the, at least as a professional marketer, part of the, um, part of the way that we use YouTube is analyzing how people actually come to YouTube and what they're doing. So if they're using it as a search engine, we try to leverage that. So for example, when we have baby acts that are opening for larger acts, we know that on a any city tour, that you know, people are probably going to be coming the next day for video of you know X large artist at from whatever city. So we'll leverage the fact that you know YouTube is a huge search engine, and have some kind of video content or some kind of compelling content from the Baby Act that references where they were, who they opened for, the city, and everything else that leverages the natural behavior of the audience in relation to um, how they're using YouTube and the act that they're probably coming to search for. So it's kind of a way to hack people, hack the platform based on human behavior. Right, and that's something that any band could do. E like any band. What mm -hmm. exactly, give me an example of how you would do that. So um, for example, uh, you know, there's um, Jessie and the Toy Boys. She's opening for Britney Spears. So if I if I were um, giving them you know advice on how to leverage YouTube as a platform, I'd say okay, make sure that you put your most compelling single in the video. Um, make it something that is relevant to the show that you opened for. Um, make it locally relevant. Show some you know behind the scenes footage or something that's compelling to you that explains who you are as an artist because you're just going to get probably the first 10 to 15 seconds of someone's attention if they're searching for Britney Spears in you know whatever city. So and make sure that you post it by midnight the night of the right. concert so that you're fully leveraging you know what the human behavior would be that people are curious about the Britney Spears show in whatever city on that night. So as long as the content is there and available when mm -hmm. people are looking for it, you have an opportunity to um, convert some of that audience into your own fan right base. On. Okay. Any other YouTube hacks you guys want to share? Um, it, it, I think it was a couple of years ago, and maybe somebody remembers it better than me, but um, Trent Reznor, when he put out an album and he put out the clips for, uh, he put out all these clips and he basically had his fans on via YouTube like create a music video. I don't know if you remember that. And yeah. I thought it was like, yeah. and then whoever won the contest and was the best music video got something. I don't yeah. know. But I thought that was like an incredibly interesting way to engage a specific type of 
I was actually yeah. thinking about that whole crowdsourcing and making videos and stuff. Yeah. Would your average indie band have the fan base to do right. that kind of? Contest? I don't know if it takes a large fan base, and I yeah. believe he also claimed the content, which also he made like, it, which made it interesting. The yeah, Commons license right. um, was really cool. Yeah, but you know, one thing we found um, with Thing Link Images is that um, we did a campaign with Atlantic Records for a band called Simple Plan. And they put a whole bunch of links into their image and made that available to fans. And even with um, some SoundCloud links to some of the new songs from an album coming out in June, it was the YouTube videos that garnered the most clicks. Yeah. So, I, I would just say that um, leveraging leveraging your fans as a, a band is probably the easiest thing you can do to to create more engagement. Or I mean. There's no bigger endorsement. A Facebook like is one thing. Somebody taking your song and making a music video about it is like a whole nother league of engagement. Yeah. Well, that's um, the distinction between a fan and a super fan. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you need to find those super fans, and that's like, if you can do that, you can hack the whole internet. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right. It's that easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's one step in the process. But you know what I'm saying. Okay. Um, do you guys want to talk about Tumblr for a second? Speaking of fishing where the fish are, Tumblr is like this hugely popular platform and it's really popular within the creative communities and I think those communities are just figuring out how to leverage it or hack it or however you want to say to their best advantage, to ways that will make them money, help them find their fans and get their fans engaged. Um, so aside from sharing your own images and your own videos and your own links, how can bands be using Tumblr? Anybody? <laughs> well, we have um, several of our acts on Tumblr um, doing tour blogs. Um, it's been hugely popular for them, um, and we've seen a lot of really impressive growth on Tumblr. Um, a lot. Of when you say tour blogs, is this like behind the scenes? Yeah, stuff? like okay. chronicling their experience on the road, doing a you know city by city, day by day tour blog. And I mean, these are baby acts that are you know building their audiences, and it's exciting for them. And you know, this is their first time or second time on the road, and and um, it's, they have compelling things to say about it and it's really sharing and opening up their experience and who they are as an artist and their development process. So Tumblr has been a, a really um, amazing tool for us in terms of uh, expanding the audience and, and getting engagement. Mm -hmm. okay. and, yeah. <laughs> Did you have something, Chris? No, no. No, no they're no. Tumblr fans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, we love using Tumblr, but to, to some extent, for, uh, for what we've seen, you kind of have to be sharing other people's content mm -hmm. as much as you are your own. Otherwise, it comes across as self-promotional, and it doesn't get that viral spark that you really want. Yeah, right. we've seen a lot of people reblog. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we've been reblogging as much, but a lot of people reblog our content. I, I think it's a, a growing platform, and it allows a little bit more flexibility than, mm -hmm. you know, Twitter, or it has a different functionality than Facebook. And um, so, as the audience that is using Tumblr grows, I think the adoption is going to grow. But okay. it seems like it's a promising tool. It does seem like a promising tool. Um, Twitter is kind of also, you mentioned Twitter, something that we were discussing and I don't know how useful it is or whether most fans get how to use it or whether the fan base is really there, but y'all are telling me absolutely and it's definitely worth trying out. Um, what are some of the more interesting ways that you've seen bands using Twitter, like smaller bands especially, to good effect? Well, I'll answer that because I'm a small artist, uh, comparatively speaking, with large artists. I mean, 
I mean, I've, I've been uh, tweeting lots of content, but using hashtags to try to find audiences around, around hashtags, um, either based on the style of the music or various interests that would help me find an audience member close to mine. And then also looking at artists that are similar to who I am and following their followers mm -hmm. to try to develop some engagement. Because all of this comes down to engagement. You know, we're talking about technology, but technology is just a physical form. You need to have sort of a, an engagement campaign in mind if you're an artist or a label or anybody trying to move people to engage with your, 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 your music and then buy it. But if you don't get the engagement, you don't get the buy. So, you know, Twitter, Twitter's a vehicle, Tumblr's a vehicle, you know, uh, Root is, is a great way to enhance your Facebook page to get the engagement, to get the buy. Well, when we talk about engagement and stuff like that, I, I almost feel like we're getting beyond what's simple because engagement is something you have to measure and it's something you have to be um, almost manipulative with social media tools to get them to engage. Uh, and it's, it's a far cry from the boots on the ground kind of marketing you might do if you're just going out and flyering Sunset Strip. But there is an analogy there. In some ways, it's exactly like going out and flyering Sunset Strip. I think, yeah. I think the most important thing to remember about Twitter is it's about um, you know, follower. It's about people that are following other folks. It's not necessarily just spewing out what you know, is going on in your life, people, give people a reason to follow you. So when they're kind of bored or whatever, they, they know that you're going to have something interesting posted. So it's not always about your release or, hey, this song or, hey, our show. It's also, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll follow people that I'm interested in, in with, within different, you know, verticals just to learn more from them. And, and I'll just check in and see what they've been talking about or whatever. And, and so I think as a local musician, as you're trying to, you know, up your followers and find that engagement, which leads to the sale. Um, just remember, how, you know, why Twitter works. You know, it's because people are really interested in following. You know, what you're talk specifically talking about, um, sort of in that vertical. So, you know, just put interesting content up there, get followers because of that, as well as putting information out about yourself. So, I think that's a starting point. Well, do you think like Tumblr, Twitter is a good place for sharing behind-the-scenes information as well? Yeah, absolutely. It, okay. It's you're on the road, and you can throw it. You know, their mobile app's pretty, pretty simple to use. So you know, as you're backstage, I think it's, you know, I've seen that be, uh, pretty productive for for musicians. I also think it's important as like a, an artist or band. I mean, it sounds obvious, but like to be a user yourself. I mean, it's obvious with with Twitter and Facebook, but all of these tools that you hear mentioned. I mean, you can't just expect to use Twitter like the right way the first time. Like you have to. I mean, you just have to consume it yourself and know what works for you and know what you like to see and, and whether it's like reading other Tumblr pages or wh whatever it is, like just, just play around. I think it's so important. And then when you get to go and talk about your band, y you know what you like to see and what worked with you, I think. Well, I mean, that goes back to what we were talking about in the green room with technological literacy. Uh, getting bands to be tech literate, they have to be users and when is that, where is that gonna happen? Um, and I think with Twitter, it's starting to happen because so many major acts are using Twitter. It's like kind of yeah. trickling down to a lot of people who would not normally be on the internet if they didn't absolutely have right. to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Twitter is, is a great example and, and it's somewhat of a simple one and they've done it right. I think the challenge, the larger challenge is for all of the other pieces of technology that, that have come up and, and we were talking about it earlier that in, in rooms like this, we're so far ahead and we're so in, in our heads as technologists and building great things and doing the next awesome thing. And oftentimes, like, 
we're a lot, you know, we're, we're too far ahead of who our ideal user is. And I think it's important for um, the, the developers or people to just think about, like, who are the types of users and build technology for them, you know, on the other side as well. Yeah, that, yeah. that mythical yeah. single button tool yeah, that will do everything. Exactly. That's well, yeah, at the end of the day, right, if, um, it, it's, a, it's a failure of a tool builder, right? If, right? if you can't, if it's not usable by somebody, right, you know, mm -hmm. it needs to be usable by the people that should be using it. And Twitter's a great example of something yeah. that's really usable. Yeah, we, we can't you know. say we need to yeah. wait for right. the users to get better. We need to make the tools better. Right. Right? Otherwise, we're the totally. And just on that, you know, I think Twitter, you know, if, if you think you're just going to use Twitter alone and you're fine, I don't really think it works that way because I ended up sort of adopting Hootsuite, a tool that it sort of helps me manage and monitor a whole bunch of Twitter streams, not only my own, but people commenting on my music or looking at other artists and seeing what's going on other dialogues or subject area dialogues that are related to my music. And then I use a tool called TweetAdder3, which helps me sort of build my Twitter follower base. Um, again, targeting users that I think might be um, uh, interested in my music and, and so building my Twitter following. So, you, you, you know, it goes back to these tools and finding tools that work for you and tools that are easy to use and tools that kind of fit into your sort of social media portfolio. But are those, I'm, my concern is that those kinds of tools that, while they make perfect sense to your average social mediaite or marketer, um, for a band, it's just one more thing they have to do, and then it ceases to be simple. And does the whole thing fall apart? Do bands use Hootsuite? God, I want to know that. I don't think does they do. Does anyone use Hootsuite here? <laughs> okay. Tweet at or three? No Amazing. They've got some homework to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other piece of all these tools that bands can use that we were talking about and kind of getting really a little bit excited about because there's some very new uh, horses in this race um, is the live video. Probably one of the most intuitive and intimate ways for a band to interact with their fans. And for the longest time, um, the last few years, people have been like, oh my God, how are we going to monetize that? You've got to be able to make money from that. And Stage It is a really cool startup that is uh, monetizing that very intimate, almost it feels like a one-on-one -on -one experience at certain points. Um, and Stage It have they presented today? I don't know if you guys know what stage it is, but they basically make uh, it very simple for a band to charge admission, just like charging tickets for doing a webcam-based concert. It's wild stuff. And but their, um, their interface is really good. Yeah, and it's really it's, simple, um, and 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 it and it makes sense to you immediately. And that's you know. And really it makes important. money immediately as right. well, which you know you got to have. The two things can happen simultaneously. Yeah. It's gorgeous. So, um, but there are also other live video platforms like Ustream, Justin.tv, and YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's interesting. A couple years ago, we started working on live streaming, and we we focused at the head, and we did giant events like U2, um, and most recently we did Coachella, and the engagement numbers around those um, are just phenomenal, right? Um, I actually don't know them off the top of my head, but they, they beat everybody's expectations, right? And, and with each one, they beat our, our, our revised expectations based on the previous one. Um, and there's also a lot of money flowing in from the advertiser thing, the advertiser side, where advertisers really want to sponsor these things and look at them as huge brand engagement opportunities. So we're very happy there. 
But then coming at it from the other side, we also recently opened up a, a self-service live platform to some of our independent um, partners. And so they've been live streaming as well. And actually something I was particularly um, thought was really interesting was we took a group of, actually it wasn't us, a separate company took a group of artists that had been seated on YouTube, had gained a really big YouTube following, but hadn't actually ever toured, and went around the country with them touring, selling ticket events, and we kicked it off with a live stream from the um, Mountain View headquarters. And it was really neat to see that these people who traditionally engage with video on demand getting up and performing live together and making a really compelling show. And so we just launched that. We're playing around with it, see where it goes and, and where it pans out. But I do think you know the, the musicians want it and the fans want it, so mm -hmm. that's the right thing to be building. Um, and, and we were talking about one of the biggest disappointments in terms of tools that are simple and fishing where the fish are. Ping, man. iTunes is where you go to buy music. And Ping was the greatest opportunity. And it completely, uh, can we say it bombed? Is it too early to say that Ping is a complete failure? For, for bands, at least? I think the first, you know, the first launch... Of, of what they were doing, uh, it, they they pushed it out really early. Um, mm -hmm. I think for it's very unapple to push something out. Yeah, I think it was raw. strategic, you know. And now they're clearly, you know, there's there's going to be things coming out as a few of the bigger players come out with uh, streaming services, and uh, I, I'm I would bet we'll see a reiteration of of what that looks like. Yeah. But okay. it's hard to recover when you when you launch a product that's yeah. somewhat wounded from the beginning you know you, yeah. you have to fight really hard i was just I mean, so excited when it came out like right. all my independent band friends i was like yeah. guys this is gonna be it this tool and it, it, i can't recommend it it's not a something i would call a tool for a band at this point your second try is a little easier when you got 160 yeah. million yeah, that's true that's true <laughs> people yeah. using your products I think that's also speaks to the fish where the fish are concept because one of the biggest um, crippling factors that Ping had was that it was so insular and didn't connect to where people found themselves naturally socially, tried to create its own sandbox, which mm -hmm. ultimately is not mirroring human behavior. So Yeah. And I think that that whole sandbox idea is, uh, is something else. You can fish where the fish are. Yeah, or you can use um, apps that integrate really well with one another, like Facebook and YouTube. They're where the fish are, and they also integrate nicely with each other. Um, tools, you know, like like anything that is going to be a third-party app for Facebook is going to integrate well. Um, do you guys, off the top of your head, know of other ways for musicians to like kind of dabble in maybe third-party apps, but that also really pull in well with where people are willing to be social? Such a bad sentence, but... Well, I mean, <clears throat> I can jump in with ThingLink in a way, because, you know, we're turning your press images into a platform. So, the, you know, your image becomes a platform for links to YouTube, to Facebook, to your fan site, to your band site, to your Twitter um, spot, to anywhere you want to go, really. So, and, and, and so the image is sort of like a wallet. It carries a lot of this information. It's shareable. It's transportable. People can take a code and publish the image in other places. So in a way, it sort of consolidates together all of your touch points. And that's a real challenge for artists is you've got so many touch points out there. How do you consolidate them in a place where people can access them from one spot? And then how do you measure the effectiveness of the touch points? So that's something we do is, you know, if, if you thing link your images, 
you can actually get a social dashboard with that and you can take a look at how people are interacting with those touch points in the images so that you can become sort of a digital marketer and make strategic decisions and say, you know what? My Facebook link didn't draw as much traffic as my YouTube link. Why was that so hot? You know, maybe I need to do more of that. Um, I think the phrase we were using in the green room is how do you manage the diaspora? Yeah. If you have all these little channels out here, how do you bring it all together into something that's actually usable? Yeah. And I think that's a pretty good example. And I've seen the dashboard and it's fairly simple, which also we like. Yeah. Other tools for managing multiple apps. I mean, that that's... What we do at the Orchard is is try to take that stuff, you know, like Thing Link, like Root Music, and and bring it together because, you know, f from the position of a distributor and a, and a representative of rights, um, we have a nice piece of data which is your sales data, and we can work that uh, alongside all of these other things, and and hopefully what we're you know the vision that we're trying to march towards is to bring as many of these things under one. Uh, one roof and, and contextualize as possible. So, I mean, it's not easy and it requires, you know, uh, people to be thinking the right way, but it's definitely possible, certainly with all the technology that's, that's come about in just the last year or so. And that's the technologist's responsibility, I yeah. firmly believe. Like, we need to create simpler dashboards for musicians using multiple applications. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think Thank you. Another a really great... Uh, it, it, Going along with the dashboard theme and, and understanding information, Next Big Sound is a really great uh, company. If you haven't checked that out, you should. As far as just analyzing data from your different points, it's a it's a quick kind of one 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 look at what's happening across the the internet at the different uh, places that you're using. So check that out too. I had a band that I was uh, working with a couple years ago, and they we we were playing with their band in Next Big Sound, they had no idea what Last FM was or that they were huge on Last FM right. and that their listens on that were like way above their Facebook right. likes or right. I think MySpace was still around then. I mean, I think Next Big Sound is a great example of like how something that's really complicated has been made to look and feel pretty intuitive. Almost you know? and Fisher like You can just hop on, it. exactly. And, and It's great. And it's, it's complicated stuff, you know, that's kind yeah. of. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to denigrate the intelligence of musicians. Uh, I am a musician but I don't want to call myself smart. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> but things need to be incredibly simple for people who don't spend all day online like, like yeah. we do. We're terrible. That, and I'd say that's you know, one of the main things that we focus on too is like um, uh, one of our, our board, board of advisors, Larry Marcus, is behind Pandora and Soundhound and a few others as well. One of the things as we've grown is, is focused specifically on that is that piece is you've got to make it so simple. You know, it's a one click and you, you think about the big applications or uh, sites that have, that have gotten there, it's because it's so easy. Uh, I, I think the, one of the most interesting examples is like Farmville, which is a game, you know, the, one of those biggest games on Facebook. To get started on that thing, you have to like pour, tip over the, the water barrel and grass grows and it's like, great, you, you're started, you know, and then, <laughs> okay, now get cows to eat the grass. And you know, it's just kind of one step. So, so we need a Farmville, but for I beer. mean, no, I'm not going there. I'm just saying make it easy, you know, like. <laughs> God forbid. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so going back to the whole hacking the internet idea, um, we were talking and I think briefly mentioned earlier ways to make money on the internet through these tools that aren't necessarily selling people 99 cent tracks on iTunes. Um, do, you, do you have any ideas, guys? What can you sell from you know, your, your offering as a band? 
Well, I think Stage It is a, is a good example conceptually of something that can be sold because um, the panel I was participating in earlier, um, a key theme that came up was, was the non-piratable um, component of, of music and that's the experience component. Um, and you, you can't pirate or hack an experience. And um, giving artists the ability to, you know, leverage the fan base that they've built over the internet. So let's say that you're an artist in Denver and you've built an audience in Miami. You don't have enough money to get to Miami, but you still have a tool to play for your audience in Miami and make some money so that maybe eventually you can actually physically get to Miami. Having those kind of tools for artists where there's a lower, it lowers the barrier to, uh, to entry. So you still, if you put the work in, you can still um, have a viable path to build your career. And it's not that you're, you're, the doors are closed to you just because you don't have the startup funds. Um, and Kickstarter is another example of something like that where you're selling experience, context, you're selling the story around the, the music that you want to put together. People co-opt that, people want to participate, and they seed your, your fund, your recording fund, or your, your touring fund. Mm -hmm. So those are two things. Okay. Now on YouTube, um, I know bands can make money from YouTube. Yeah, so um, we, have a, we have a partnership program for independent musicians. It's youtube.com slash partners if you're interested. And, and it takes the ad-supported model that we've used um, elsewhere on the site and extends it to people who can really build and sustain an audience on the site. And um, I think that the, the interesting thing here is you, know, you can start from zero and if you engage with your audience on these platforms really well, you can build an audience um, in places where you know, geographically you might be disadvantaged. Um, you, you don't have the startup money to get out and tour. Um, maybe you're too young to actually go to a bar and do a gig. So, um, so basically, it's possible to build an audience and then monetize it on YouTube. Uh, I think it's also interesting, this is something we focus a lot on at YouTube because we actually, before we had people starting out on YouTube, we had tons of people uploading great content with commercial music in it. And so we said, okay, how do we turn this into a business? Um, and so we've built systems, the content identification system to find this content, claim it, and then do whatever the underlying label rights owners want. And this is one way we've been able to, to live with the labels and get along by taking that fan engagement and then making money out of that. And so this week we're actually gonna release a new chart on YouTube that takes views on premium music videos and then takes views on fan engagement fan-produced videos, so a great example would have been Trent Reznor's project, right? So we would roll up all those views on the thousands of fan videos and then and use those to determine chart placement. So um, ultimately it's gonna look a lot like a, a traditional top 40 chart, but some of the artists are getting big boosts because fans are making videos for it and, and others don't have that kind of engagement and, and they, don't, they don't place as well for it. So, okay. um, so I think going forward we'll see more and more interesting things like this. These are new, right, but they're the future, right? If you can monetize that sort of fan engagement around content, um, which is what we're working on, I, I think it'll be interesting stuff. Okay. Anybody else want to tell people how to make money? Uh, I think, you know, one of the more obvious ones is Topspin. Um, you know, they came out um, uh, just recently at South by Southwest with their platform that opens it up to that anybody can now use and, and try it out. And um, they've been kind of the leaders in that space for a bit now and uh, certainly innovating. So if you ha if you haven't checked that out, definitely you know take a look at that. There are widgets that you can put all across the web. Moon Toast is is uh, doing similar things as well. Right on. 
Um, not not exactly like super sexy, but Song Trust. I don't know if you guys know them. They, they've they've done a really good job at at simplifying a complicated problem and like helping you collect your publishing royalties if you're just an independent artist. And they make it really simple and like to get that revenue stream off the ground, which you probably wouldn't think of um, until it's too late. You can just go there and and sort of have a nice clean dashboard and manage uh, those aspects. On okay. that note, uh, Sound Exchange is a really good one too. They're like millions and millions of dollars yes. that haven't been claimed yet. So if you're an artist and you haven't uh, registered your music uh, to be you know, licensed or to, to collect royalties from that, definitely ch uh, check out Sound Exchange. They're amazing for that. Okay. I like all this because I, I said we were going to wrap up with you know recommending tools for bands outside of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Tumblr. So um, yeah, you can so check that off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else have tools they really want to recommend that most bands might not know about? I have a, another a couple of um, companies that we've talked to at length. Um, one is Bread. It's a link shortener application. Um, I was talking to a manager once, uh, and he said one of his biggest um, items of advice for a band was to pair up with other bands and to always roll with the crew, you know, um, that way you help each other and bread kind of mirrors that activity in that you're able to share a slice of your life. You're able to promote something as part of your link shortening process. So it's, it adds an extra layer, um, a social layer onto link shortening um, and it's bre.ad. Um, also SoundCloud has social features that I think a lot of people don't know about. I think they just use it as a way to post music, but they also have um, some really interesting social features um, that come along with, that are free, that you can use along with your um, membership or subscription to, um, to SoundCloud. For example, tweet to download, um, those kind of things that help you augment your, your social media bases alongside sharing your music. So those were um, two things that could be helpful. Super duper. And now we're going to open it up for Q&A. So please think of awesome questions. Yes, sir, in the hat. Yep, you guy. There is. It's <laughs> you got the question. Right there, right. that awesome young dude. Uh, I have a, my name is Wesley, and I have just two quick questions. Josh mentioned, uh, gathering everything and putting it under one roof, and I wanted to know who would own that roof. And number two is uh, Christopher used Pomplamoose as an example, and I want to know how YouTube handles the uh, publishing rights on that, because they used a lot of cover songs, and uh, who gets paid, and, and is that all cleared? Thanks. Um, just, I mean, just on the first part, the way we think about it, it's not necessarily who would own that roof, it's more of who, who sort of builds it and manages it. Um, you know, there's... Most of the data, uh, not all of it, but most of, of the data is out there and it's just hard to collect and it's, you know, it, it, I wouldn't, it, it's not really owned, it's more of managed, presented, um, and in, you know, in this case, you know, I, I obviously envision the orchard managing that um, and, and, you know, also having the task of staying up to date and continually navigating what is the changing data streams and, and, and all of that stuff and presenting it to you in such a way that um, makes sense. And if that's not the case, you know, you can take your data uh, it's, it, elsewhere. You know, I mean, it's not like it's not an owned thing necessarily. It's more of a you know, presentation. I I'll, I think too on that on that note, um, you know, for the past ten years, we've been really trying to figure out what are the next steps and and what's working, what's not working, and more and more and more, we're kind of getting closer to what 
what that can be. And we're seeing some of the bigger companies starting to work together to provide overall solutions. So, you know, I don't know where it's, you know, where that's headed, but I think we're getting much closer to having a cohesive um, play instead of, you know, all of these different apps happening that, yeah, you know, new ones can grow and, and kind of get into what that is going to be. But I think we're getting closer and closer to what, um, what that looks like online. So, uh, yeah. getting there. Um, on the, the question on publishing, we have actually a, a hybrid um, matrix of ways we do deals. So in, in other words, some of our partners, they'll bring the publishing rights. Um, in some of our partnerships, we clear the publishing rights. Then we do deals with collecting societies, like 15 plus collecting societies around the world to take care of publishing rights. So um, the short answer is, if pra the practical answer is if you're a musician and you don't own your publishing rights, um, you should clear those before you put them on any platform. Um, yeah. And I know Pomplamoose and Jack Conti, who's behind Pomplamoose as well, uh, does that for every video that they put up. Yeah. I, I, you could talk to them. I don't know what they did at the beginning. <laughs> generally speaking, it's difficult to put up any kind of a cover song on YouTube. Right. They have, they have uh, a program that catches it um, if it sounds like the, the popular song that you're trying to put up, generally. Okay. Let's hear from Joey. Is this on? My name is Joey. Um, I think that most of the tools that everybody talks about are uh, better, more effective if you use them a lot, obviously, um, which means that if you play one hour a day, but you use these tools six hours a day, you'll be more successful than somebody who puts more effort into their music. And basically that means all the crap rises to the top. So what can companies do? What, what can companies that build these tools do to help better artists get more out of them than the crappier artists who just spend all day with the tools? <laughs> so how do you keep people from gaming the system? Yeah, I think that, yeah. I, th well, I think, I think good. Spending like months on the road and help yeah. them be effective with these tools when they only have 20 minutes at the end of a long mm -hmm. day to work on them versus the person who's in their garage making horrible music and blasting it all over Yeah. Well, that's right. why I mean, we need better, totally, simpler tools. I don't know if we can stop that, right? I mean, yeah. like, I mean, it's unfortunate, but, you know, what we can do is continually try and, and use our brains and think about making the tools way more efficient and that as technology increases, you bring that stuff in and you sort of can it up and so that, you know, what took you a long time before doesn't take you as much time. I mean, other than that, like... Uh, it's something that's debated, like, what's the responsibility of an artist now? It's, it's a lot different than it was. You've got to work harder in both areas, I think. I mean, and I, you know, I, I the, other, the other thing I would say is that there's different models for different musicians, right? Some, some musicians might want to be pop superstars. Some people are really ardent musicians that, that want to create new art and are very, very focused on that. Um, those, both of these musicians are going to benefit from the fact that they have a way to engage their fans easier. You'll, what you get with 20 minutes is... 10 times what you would have gotten with uh, 20 minutes 10 years ago, right? That's the, that's the truth of the matter. Um, there's a whole bunch of other shifting things happening um, that are making it a tougher place for some musicians, but it is, a, it is a more democratic place than it was 10 years ago, and it hopefully will be a more democratic place and, and more equitable place 10 years from now than it is today. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that it's a, not an easy place to be. And one more thing I would add is that the lines aren't so marked. I mean, there's a little bit of blurring between 
you know, what you're doing online and what you're doing offline. So if you're spending hours and hours on the road and you're playing out to people every single night, all you have to do is shout your Twitter handle out from the stage or give your Facebook page, you know, address, and you've captured that audience that not only was able to connect with you live, but you've, you know, you can continue that conversation without as much effort as someone that is just sitting in their garage, you know, trying to reach people from afar. So it doesn't have to be a, a black and white, you know, delineation between playing out live and aggregating an audience and and sitting in your bedroom. You can merge the two worlds to your best advantage. Yeah, I, I'd like to just add to that that um, you know, I th I think there's there's a strategy session that an artist needs to have with somebody to figure out what do you do, and that there are experts. I mean, I look around the room. I, I know these two guys here. Are, um, Michael Brandvold and, and Chris Butner, they really know a lot about digital media, social media, and all that. And I think it's definitely worth the while of every artist to sit down with whoever you might know that knows something about this to at least come up with a little bit of a blueprint for yourself that you can start to execute on in the beginning. You know, so, so that at least you get the blueprint done. Because, you know, when I put out my album, I, I spent a lot of money and a lot of time finishing my record and when it was done I went Jesus that is done thank you God and then I realized I have to market it <laughs> and I had no clue on how to market music and 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 even though I know a lot about PR and digital um, PR I still had to kind of learn the music side of it and I talked to a lot of people that I knew and then use whatever expertise so I'd encourage every artist to find people you know and see if you can put some investment into working with some professional help to get yourself launched to pick out the tools that make the most sense for you and get through the confusion that a lot of us face with the tools yeah. play the starving artist card and make them do it for free <laughs> give them a CD but it's not rocket science it's social media yeah. somebody should be doing it for their band friends yes sir it's a good question by the way a lot of the tools you've mentioned seem to be very focused on a band's relationship with the consumers. What are the best tools for a band's or musician's relationship with other businesses, either in terms of licensing or venues or whatever? Mm. The venues one is uh, an interesting space that's kind of hot right now. Do you guys want to speak to this? Mm. I, mean, I think that's a no. You know. They don't. Yeah, I mean I don't want to talk That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sonic Bids is out there. Right. Reverb Nation does some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, there's, there are tools and platforms out there for it. I think it's a really interesting space. Um, I, don't, I don't claim to be expert in them, but I knew, I knew Sonic Bids and Reverb Nation both right. do it. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense since it's how you gain fans in your market. I think it's, um, it's going to you know, continue to take some time to improve on that and, and, and work on those. Um, you know different platforms that have those connections um, to connect not only, you know, you musicians with venues, but also musicians with each other. I think, you know, MySpace had the best opportunity there where they had everybody on and could have done some amazing algorithms and paired people up um, and put that together. But um, as technology gets more and more advanced and more organized and logical, those are the things I think we'll be seeing coming out in a big way. Okay. So nothing you'd specifically recommend for finding gigs right now? Well, Reverb, I mean, Reverb Nation does have a gig finder um, application if, if you're sort of hosting your music on Reverb Nation. They do have a lot of interesting tools there because I, I use it and I find it to be valuable. Echo Nest also has a ton of information that they and they have an API that you can build off of. And so, you know, uh, Music Hack Day, you certainly get together and, uh, and and do something. Obviously, I think there's... 
opportunity. Okie dokie. Uh, I think we have time for one more question, maybe two. Uh, yes, sir. Run. Hello, uh, my name is Reed Kavner. I work for StarMaker. We make uh, karaoke iPhone apps. Um, we spend a lot of time, or you guys have spent a lot of time, uh, talking about what bands like. And I'm wondering what fans like. Um, aside from um, like the chance to win free stuff, what gets fans really excited and what are the, the biggest motivators in your experience to you know, engage with whatever it is bands are using these tools for? I think it depends on the type of fan you're looking at. There are fans who love your band at like a three and fans that love you at like an 11. They would do anything for you. And I think when you get toward the higher end of the spectrum, it's intimate experiences and uh, really rare opportunities that are kind of... the. Am I on the right track, y'all? Yeah, I, okay. I agree. Yeah, that's yes. what they yes. want, and you can charge more money based on that. Um, as for what the masses want, I think cool content is up there. Cool videos, interesting photos, behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, and I, I think intimacy is something that we can give fans that they really want that wasn't possible previously. I think what's be become really clear um, as, as we've looked and, and worked with a lot of different folks is that um, you know, fans want to know what they're going to get when they land on that page. Um, you see musicians' websites you know, across the board, and some you know, just are a big piece of artwork in front of it. Some have the music player right there. Some have different pieces of information. And so if you're building something that's going to scale, make sure it's something that um, first, folks know where to find that, those pieces of information and then give a space, you know, designate a space where you can uh, allow, you know, an individual artist to uh, elaborate on, on what they're trying to push at that time. But uh, again, focusing on simplicity, making sure it's, you know, understand your users. In, for, in most cases, you should be able to define um, what people are coming to your specific platform for in, into four different categories, what those four main things are. And then uh, you know present those, and then if you're going to add or, or present other things, let the, let those things be things that you can click on and extend if if you're that fringe user for those outside of those four main points. You know, and just be aware that different, like we said, different fans want different things, and just to you know break that out and know that you know know what it is and go for it. Create something for fans all along that spectrum, and yeah, I think that's the best way to collect the most money. Okay, and I think this might might be our last question. So sad. Hi, Chris Rigatuso, Skyfall Consulting Group. Um, one of the big success stories in social media is contests, right? Because contests allow people to invest a little bit of time in hopes of winning something like a lotto, not knowing what the odds are, but you know, it's not a big investment. So the question to, to all of you guys is: Is there contest functionality built into your song platforms either for either for bands or for labels or for brands like Ford or BMW that may want to actually host a song contest and be um, part of the uh, curating or selection process when you say song contest do you mean uh, artists submitting artists who own the material I realize that could be a thorny issue but people submitting songs or tracks, whatever. Two to brands in a to contest? To Root Music or to SoundCloud oh. or to any infrastructure 
player that handles MP3 files. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's something that's um, taken off. There's there's one company that's doing uh, Facebook games really well, MXP4, um, and so you can put those um, their games that they've made into you know uh, into into a specific tab and then drive traffic there. And it's been very clear with gaming, you know, on the Facebook platform that that's taken off, making making things social and viral, buzz, buzz, buzz. But uh, you know. MXP, M, excuse me, MPX4 is is one that, um, that that that's done that pretty well. Have you have you used them? Yeah, okay. I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th I think it's an interesting space, and I think it's it's somewhat evolving right now in terms of not necessarily outright contests, but ways of of taking that aspect and building it into levels of engagement with different types of fans. I think people are are, are hard at work. Yeah, in fact, you know, at ThingLink, we're we're going to be adding a reward feature. So, you know, if 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 uh, we'll be able to do contests, so you know, the person who does the most tweets of a photo wins something. You award them, but we're seeing a lot of record companies want to reward fans for sharing yeah. Yeah. and finding platforms for that. And, and we've, um, at YouTube, have aligned a lot of major label acts with major advertisers and done some sort of destination contest type. Um, but I think, you know, just going back to the Trent Reznor example again, I think a much better example of uh, a more organic kind of contest is, here's my song under Creative Commons license, make a video for it, send it to me, I'll choose the best, right? It, it doesn't, it's not formally baked into the platform, it's just there by default. Okay, and that's all we have time for. Thank you guys so much for coming. Peace be with you.